Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It is easy to leave a burning building when it is on fire. But what if that building contains the very thing that gives you life, excitement, peace, joy, courage, and wonder? Will you be an agent of change or do nothing and eventually leave? If you work in Catholic ministry, business, or education and need quality content on your website or social media pages, contact The Simple Catholic for copywriting services at thesimplecatholic.blog and click on the Writing Services page for more information. The Church Militant Needs Soldiers Against the Enemy. Enlist the Simple Catholic in this fight for the truth. Good News Ministries of GNM.org It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Welcome to the Champions Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rubin and Coach Phil. The podcast where we share stories of faith being activated through sports. Welcome to the Champions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rubin. We are so excited to have you joining us today. If this is your first time listening, here at the Champions Podcast, we interview current and former college and professional athletes and coaches and have them share their faith story, their testimony. We believe in the power of the testimony and that by sharing what God has done in our lives, we can give hope to people about what God can do in their lives. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating, share the podcast, and subscribe. The more we have of that, the easier it is for people to find us. And this isn't about the Champions Podcast being popular. It's that there are some amazing only God stories that people need to hear. And by rating, sharing, and subscribing, you help make that happen. Guys, I am so excited for today's guest. We are we have the privilege of interviewing Cincinnati Bengals chaplain, Lamoris Crawford. Guys, his story is incredible. I can't wait for him to share it with you, so we're going to jump right in. So welcome to the podcast, Lamoris. We are so excited to have you joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to it. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, the honor, I promise you, is all ours. We are so excited to have you joining us. We trust that God is going to do amazing things through this podcast, not because of any questions I'll ask, but because of who he is and the testimony that he's given you. And I believe that testimonies are one of the most powerful tools to not only give God glory, but to show the hope that is found only in him. So if it's okay with you, we're going to open up this podcast in prayer. Absolutely, let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God, and we are so thankful for this day. God, we're so thankful that you have allowed our paths to cross, Lord God. And God, we trust, we go into this podcast, we just lay it at your feet, and we trust that you are going to do 
what only you can do with this podcast, Lord God. I believe that the the testimony and the journey of Lamoris's life, Lord, that there will be listeners that can relate to that and find them find bits and pieces of Lamoris's life in theirs. And God, I pray that you use what you've done in his life to provide hope for those who are searching for hope. God, we 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 desperately need you. We love you and we trust you. In your great and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Lamoris, most people may not even know that NFL teams have chaplains, much less what they do. So can you kind of share with us, as the team chaplain for the Cincinnati Bengals, what does your role look like? Yeah, so my role is, number one, to serve. And so we have a unique ability and privilege to influence who we consider the greatest influential people on the planet, which are pro athletes. And so my wife and I serve alongside one another and a typical ministry week will look like uh, Monday is our Sabbath. So we don't get a Sabbath on Sunday because of course that's the day (laughs) NFL games are played. And so uh, Monday is our Sabbath day, Tuesday, we do a couple study, so we have about 14 couples on our team that we meet every week. Uh, we go through a book together during the season. Uh, if you don't know, the divorce rate amongst NFL players is hovering over 70%. And so we have a huge passion to see couples stay together after playing. Uh, so that would be a Tuesday night. Wednesday, my wife does a women's Bible study, and that's with the co- uh, significant others, wives, girlfriends, any woman that's tied to a player, we offer to serve them by leading them and learning God's word. And then Thursday, I do our team study. And so that's all the players on the team, coaches, anyone on staff. And uh, we walk through the word uh, every week. And then we do marriage counseling, marriages, discipleship, outreach. So we really go all in and serving the team. So that's what a typical week would look like. And then game days, we attend the game, of course, and then we're down after just encouraging the guys, praying for those who might have injuries, feel alone. You know, a lot of guys, parents or friends and family, don't come to the game, especially if they're, you know, on injury or practice squad. So we try and be that family to them to say, hey, we're here for you. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, how can we pray for you? And so that's a typical week of our ministry in the NFL. Wow, that is exhausting (laughs) that's a lot you know what i mean like you're you're getting it from all ends and these guys are already super busy people you know what i mean like the the nfl teams pretty much have their schedules regimented out you know and so yeah how how did you get involved how did you how, how did you become a team chaplain yeah, so um, I, get, I could share a little bit of my story here um, and how sports chaplaincy became a passionate calling for me. Uh, I grew up in poverty on the south side of Chicago where I was uh, raised in a housing project called Augeo Gardens. Uh, my grandma raised me. She was a single mom of nine kids. And when I was 10 months old, my mother was murdered. Uh, she was 17 years old. She was murdered, uh, six months pregnant. I have an older brother, which she had at 16. And I had another uncle that was murdered at 17, another aunt murdered at 28. And I had another aunt that died from a brain tumor from asbestos in the projects. And so my grandmother raised nine kids, four died. She raised nine grandbabies. 
And so I grew up with a huge question mark on top of my head of who am I? Why am I here? And so, you know, I completely rebelled as a kid, but there was this one atmosphere in which I felt safe. And that was sports. You know, I was a basketball player, uh, but, but I was a kid that was in trouble in middle school. I was in a gang by 11 selling crack cocaine by the age of 14. And so I barely made it to high school by a miracle, but I made the basketball team. My high school was 2,500 kids. And I was a four-year starter in high school at each level, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And those that 94 feet, 48 minutes, or high school, I guess, 32 minutes, <laughs> uh, that, that space helped me block out pain, abandonment, you know, I've never met my father to this day. My family don't know who he is. So I had a lot of turmoil in my life growing up. And so sports was a huge outlet for me. And I only could play basketball because it was free. Mm. I, would, I would play football to the deadline. My grandmother couldn't afford cleats or the insurance. I would play baseball all the way up to the deadline. My grandmother couldn't afford cleats or insurance. So I could dribble a ball all day and go to the park. So I, I say that to say sports became a, a huge outlet for me during my pain. And I did well in high school, uh, but I had a horrible ACT score, scored a 14. I had schools recruiting me, but I didn't have the academics. So I ended up going to a community college. I played one year of basketball there, and it was at 19 years old that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And uh, it was through my cousin. He was the leader of a gang in our neighborhood. He had nearly 300 kids under his authority at 16 years old. They carry guns for him, dope for him. Well, he meets this girl, walks her home, and her dad builds a relationship with him in his living room. A few weeks later, he bowed his knee to the Lordship of mm. Jesus Christ, and he told me that story. Mm, and I accepted Christ. My life changed. I uh, finished that community college, went an associate's degree, transferred, got my bachelor's and master's degree. I'm the first ever to go to college in my family. And from my childhood and the the, the avenue the sports play for me was an outlet but then i found jesus which was the greatest outlet. and those two things set me on a course to want to help athletes so <laughs> that's wow. how everything grew together and how i'm serving pro athletes today well and i want to get back to the what you're doing with the Bengals, but I, i'd be remiss if we didn't just stop here if it's okay with you and just kind of talk a little bit more about your childhood and, and, and stuff like that, and if that's okay with you, absolutely, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit more. I mean, you know that 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 is a night. Honestly, it's a nightmare story for anybody. You know, and it's one adversity after another. But tell us how amazing. You know, when I hear your your story, the first thing I think of is, man, his grandmother must be one amazingly strong woman. Tell us a little bit about absolutely. her. Yeah, my grandma, she was a very strong woman. And uh, like I said before, I come from generation and generational, uh, what I say, generational abandonment. Uh, my grandmother, m- my grandma's mom, so my great grandmother, left her uh, right after she was born, left her with her dad. And my grandmother died 2012, never seeing her mother again. And so it was this repeated generational cycle and I think for my grandmother even though she had all the hardships she didn't want that for her Mm. kids or grandbabies and so she was willing to step up and say hey you know 
uh, these are my grandbabies and she was strong. My grandmother, if you've ever heard a sermon of mine, you hear me say, uh, you know, my grandmother, uh, what I call a hustler. Uh, <laughs> my grandmother died at 72, never having a driver's license. My grandmother died at 72, never having a bank account. Wow. And yet she survived raising basically 18 children. Oh my and so we took public transportation everywhere. We bummed rides off people. As a matter of fact, my grandmother was such a hustler. She would bum a ride off you and you would pay her gas money. <laughs> and, so, and so my grandmother been a survivor all her life. And there were times and, you know, uh, my grandmother ended up accepting Christ on her deathbed. Praise God. Uh, through my cousin who led me to the Lord. But I remember nights coming in and looking at my grandmother's room and she on her knees praying. And, you know, we wasn't raised in church. We wasn't made to, you know, that, that wasn't a, a, a space for me. And so to see her praying, it, it was. And now as I get older and look back, I know why. There was a lot of pain. And so, but my grandmother is a very strong woman. She did the best she could with what she had. And if you give her $10, she can feed 14 people. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So prior to uh, your your cousin coming to the Lord, was there anger and frustration to God, towards God? Like, was God even a player in your life? Was there God, like, why is there... Why am I facing this adversity? Why have these all these horrible things happened to me? Like, what have I done to you, God? Was there ever any of that? Well, see, when you, I do about third through sixth grade. My best friend is Antoine Rendewell. Okay, sure. You wouldn't mind me saying this, and we grew up next door to him. And so, my grandmother raising, you know, at that time we had about uh, 14 people living in our home, and his parents were avid church course and so she when we moved there she said miss hall you know we have a church bus for kids and so a church bus will come and pick us up on sundays and my grandma would send us and she never went wow because <laughs> because you raise that many kids you need a break right <laughs> so sundays was vacation for my grandma and so from third to sixth grade i remember you know the David and Goliath stories and that it was a very traditional black church, but I didn't accept Christ. There was no, so when you ask that question, there was moments where I knew there was a God. Uh, and so it was moments like that. I remember the story of David and Goliath and, you know, uh, the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace and just, but there was no salvation, um, um, encounter. And so when you ask that question, I I go back to my childhood and I think of moments. Uh, I was nearly kidnapped at 11. I was shot at. So I can go back and think there must have been a God. Um, And I I was a part of a organization called Chicago Youth Centers in which they would take about four to six hundred kids from inner city Chicago from the east, west, north and south side. And we would go to a campground in Dowagiac, Michigan. And I remember at. 11 years old looking at the sky and I felt like I can touch the stars because in the city you don't see stars but in Michigan where there's no light to woods I remember looking up and thinking there is a God mm. there has to be a God I don't know how I don't know where it came from but I remember and as I'm talking to you I'm kind of tearing up because I can vividly remember that evening 
Wow. With this awe of there must be a God. And so there was moments and pockets where I knew there was a God, but I didn't encounter the one that can give me access to him. That's amazing. You know, and you think about like, you know, to me, that just says us as believers, you know, we have such a, a, a responsibility to just plant seeds. You know, and that's what those people did that you're sharing. You know, the people at the church, the people at the camp, like those were seeds that that planted, that people along the way watered, that eventually bared, you know, what we see today. You know, and how I just as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, man, I wonder if any of those camp workers, I wonder if any of those people at the church, I wonder if any of them know that God grabbed a hold of your heart and what you're doing today. Do you know what I mean? Like, those are the things that always get me excited. Yeah, well, after I became a believer, my cousin and I went to visit that church. And you know social media now as well. So they, you know, a lot of those kids who, you know, and I didn't have a lot of great experiences in in that church, actually. But there were seeds. The pastor was very loving. He was very kind. His wife was very generous and gracious to us. But, But yes. Uh, we went back and we thanked him. We blessed him, honored him, and thanked him for the seeds uh, that they sold into our lives, for sure. That's awesome. And then you fast forward, and your cousin, he, he comes to you and just starts. He, he like at this point when he puts it when he when he bows his knee and he puts his faith in the Lord, is he just so on fire for God at this point, so radically transformed that he comes to you and just starts sharing? what happened or how does that conversation happen? Yeah. So it happened when he was 16 years old. And so, you know, that moment and we, we went two different crowds. I was very popular. Uh, my high school was 2,500 kids. I was turnabout King homecoming court prom court. I was voted the most athletic out of my class. I was one of the most popular kids in my school wow. <laughs> and he wasn't, but at 16, when his life changed, I saw it. I watched the hand of God on his life. I watched how he was adopted into a new family spiritually. He was plugged into a local church. His demeanor changed. God was blessing his life. And I was intrigued, but I was the man, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, right? So it comes, it, 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 it came by me watching him. So at 19 years old, when I was completely broken, and he and I watched his life plus the gospel message. It was easy because I saw myself as broken and no woman couldn't do it. Weed, drugs, popularity, prestige, none of it could do it. And I didn't understand it because at that time, if you you dealing with stuff, you go get high. Your problems will change. You go smoke. Your problems will change. Well, I would come off being high, come off being drunk. And none of my problems change. Amen. Right. And what I found out was that Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about heart transformation. Mm, Say it again. And so I needed a transformed heart. And that only comes one way, and that's being born again by the gospel and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so once he told me that, and I learned that, it radically changed my life. That's amazing. Praise God. Praise God. Did you ever have an opportunity to ask your cousin, you know, because you said how, you know, he was kind of the leader of 300 guys that, that you know, did all the work, for, carried the guns, you know, pushed the drugs and did all that stuff. Did he ever share with you, like, what it was about what this girl's dad said to him that, that just kind of 
crippled him to his knees. And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so here's the the funny part. I told you my grandmother had four kids that that died. Three were murdered. Well, one of my aunt, his mom was murdered when we were nine. And his father wasn't in his life. Mm. And so he meets the gr- he meets this girl and they were married. They had nine kids. So he saw something in that that he never had. And so I think part of that family piece helped paint a story of God's family. Right. I think sometimes we forget that the narrative of this story is family. God wanted a family. Mm. So he made Adam and Eve. And sin broke up the family. But God was so desperate to be back with his family that he was willing to come be with us, right? So when God created Adam and Eve, and I'm about to preach, so you might want to take a 30 second. Come on now. Uh, (laughs) Right? So when he created created Adam and Eve, it was to be intimate with them. He wanted to walk with them, right? So God did not create us to be here and he go back to heaven. That was not the plan. How do we know that? When Even when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that God walked through the garden. In his sin, God sought him. Is that not the narrative? Yeah. In Zacchaeus' sin, Jesus sought him. Right? In Abraham's atmosphere of being raised by a father who was an idol maker, he, God sought him. So this is the narrative. Because God desires family. Mm. And so... When he created us, it was for family, but then sin came in and broke up the family. But God was so desperate to still be with us, he missed that fellowship that he came to live in the box. Man, so but good. the box could not box the box couldn't give his intimacy. So he was like, I gotta do something else. Right? So then he said, You know what? I have to go myself. What? Who is Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. God came again. Yeah. 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 So he died so that we could be back in fellowship with him. So that's the whole narrative. So when my cousin hears this story of family with this biblical narrative, it changed his life. And so he found himself in the story. And is that not our goal? Yes. Go tell the story. What? The greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever penned. Shakespeare can't touch this story. Steven Spielberg can't touch this story. <laughs> Mel Gibson can't touch this story. It's the greatest story ever penned. And guess what? That God who is the narrator of that story wants you a part of the story. Yes, yes, yes. Man, this is so good. This is so good. And so let, let's continue down this your journey. And so you've now put your faith in the Lord. And as we know, the enemy's not just going to sit idly by and just let somebody that he's had as a prisoner of his just be released and walk and follow the Lord. Uh, so were there – was it an easy transition? Was it you surrendered and, man, now your whole life was given to the Lord and there was – never any struggle after that or turn back after that? Or were there obstacles that you still overcame where, you know, through that uh, refining period? Oh, absolutely. Um, Salvation is not a destination. Yes. It's a journey. Yes. And so on the journey, yeah. I mean, I come to Christ. My life has changed. I know what happened to me. So a few things I intentionally did. I have to change my environment. So my cousin and I ended up getting an apartment together. Um, We lived together. We knew the fellowship. I stopped playing basketball because I was in the church every time the doors was open. 
so that was four services on Sunday, Wednesday night, small group, Thursday, any other fellowship that was happening, I was there. Wow. And so I had to immerse myself in a new environment, right? And and so there were some decisions I had to make. I couldn't be going to play party in spades on Friday nights with my <laughs> friends. There was no more clubs there. And not that I didn't struggle. I tell people all the time, salvation is not an event. Mm. Salvation is a person. Yeah. Amen. And so in any in any relationship, there's gonna be times of miscommunication. I don't care if you've been married fifty years, sixty years, right? No relationship will be perfect. And so there's been miscommunication with me and my relationship with Christ. Not on his part because he's perfect, but on mine. Yeah. And so but the key to this journey is the mindset of an overcomer, right? All through Revelation, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. This is an overcoming journey. We have an enemy who has a target on our back. He does not want us walking in righteousness and truth and light. And so the key is to get back up again. So, yeah, I fell, I tripped, I slip and slide, uh, right? But I'm always getting back up and say, you know what? I won't throw in the towel. I will not quit. I will not look back. I will keep my hands to the plow and I'll keep going. So Amen. it's been a, right? And, 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 and Christianity is the only religion that calls this for maturity right mm -hmm. all through the scripture you see this this narrative of a righteous man falls seven times but he gets back up again yeah right you you see paul in the new testament talks about this milk and meat right there's this maturity process in all of us so the day we die or to the day christ returns we're going to be in this maturing walk and that's the goal is that i'm not the same person i was uh, 52 weeks ago, but I'm not who I am and who I should be. Amen. Because as long as I'm in this flesh, brother, the marathon continues. Amen. Amen. And I think, and, you know, I'm sure you can speak more to this, you know, through your experiences as an NFL chaplain and just kind of being, you know, we are the church, you know, so just going around and sharing the gospel. But that's been one of, as an FCA area rep and somebody that's you know, begun investing in high school athletes, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I feel like we've had to share with people is that putting your faith in Jesus doesn't mean you just got the easy pass, you know what I mean? And you get to go through the tolls without paying. Like, it, 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 it it's not that our lives are air-free, problem-free, stress-free. It's none of that. It's that we just now have hope. You know, we have somebody to, to turn Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And so, absolutely, huh? yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was agreeing. Go ahead. You know, I was just gonna say. So, how do you, you know, how do you, in your experiences with NFL players, namely the Cincinnati Bengals guys, that you know, you, you got a team of however many players. Not all of them are believers. Throughout the course of a season or multiple seasons, they're getting to know you. You're becoming somebody they can. Even though they might not share beliefs with you right now, you're somebody they can trust. When obstacles come, you kind of you're planting seeds. Just kind of talk us through that journey of that non-believer. Like, how do you navigate that? How do you kind of help them? It, what what kind of role do you play? Yeah. So you know, part of my other ministry philosophy when it comes to that area is, my wife and I say we're 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 here to meet you where you're at. And so you know, I have guys who. Our, don't attend Bible study chapel, but I, I'll get lunch with them. I'll sit down with them. I'll commune with them. And I always make myself available to 
being present. Because here's the condition of the human heart. I don't care who you are, millionaire, poor, divorced, lonely, abandoned. Here's the condition of the human heart. Every, every tribe, nation, and tongue is this. Every person deals with pain, and every person desires to be loved. Mm, amen. And so as believers, if we can meet people in that space, Jesus overcame, so there's hope for your pain. And Jesus overcame by sacrificing, so there's hope for your love. In other words, for God so loved the world. God loves you. So even though you might not feel love, there's a God who loves you. Even though you're going through pain, there's a Christ who died for you. And so that's why no matter the individual I sit with, whether believer, struggling, non-believer, the narrative is still the same, right? You can interject this story at any level to any person, no matter the color of their skin, economic status. Um, and so I just meet them where they're at. And my heart desires that they, I build trust and that they're willing to talk to me, open up to me, and then that way I can interject the narrative of the greatest story ever told. And that's it. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. Our job is to believe that God would do his job. Amen. And so we tell the story, the Holy Spirit does the rest. Yes. And for me, that counsels our fear because it's not my story. It's his story. I just have the honor and privilege and the command to tell it. Oh, that's so and good. And so you're not rejecting me. You could say no. You could count me out. You can avoid me in the locker room. I got guys who won't look at me in the face, but I'm a smile anyway. You're not rejecting me. You will stand before God. You got to give a narrative. You're going to have to give an account. So I just try and love them, bro. I love them and I try and be present. And that's my goal. And I think the incredible thing about what you do and chaplains, not not just you, but, you know, chaplains is you're in an industry where – Everyone wants something from these players. Everyone, whether it's coaches, whether it's families, whether it's distant families, whether it's fans, media, they're constantly getting pulled, pulled, pulled. We want you to do this, do this, do this. You're just trying to feed that person. You know, you're you're there for them. How can I serve you? And I think that that probably catches a lot of players off guard. You know, and but it's so needed. You know, like that one place where the noise isn't as loud. They can just be with you and be real. Oh, that's the hope, right? That's the hope. And we're dealing with men, right? We're dealing with men. And so men, and God has been really downloading me with this in uh, 3 John 2, right? When he says, "I I wish above all things that you're prospering, being helped, even as your soul prospers. Right. And yeah. and I think, man, we have a hard time processing and adapting and developing a healthy soul. Right. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I've been through this. I've been married 11 years now and processing my childhood, everything I've been through. So I'm seeing this in these young men who are broken, but they're in a space where you got to be a warrior. Mm. Now, I don't care if you Maximus, right? I don't care who you are. <laughs> I don't care what type of warrior, gladiator, uh, Alexander the Great, you know, all these, you will have to take off the armor. You cannot wear the armor 24-7. Yeah. And so I tell my guys this, 
inside of every man lives a king and a warrior. Whichever one that is addressed will be the one that responds. Mm. And so I tell my guys, listen, when you at practice, you're the warrior. You got to process and get that armor off on that 8, 10, 12 minute ride home before you get to your wife. Because she doesn't want to see the warrior. She want to see the king. Yeah. <laughs> and so you got to be praying, listening to worship music, some Bible teaching, whatever you need to do to process those moments before you walk in your home. And so help, we need to help men process. Men don't, pro- and this is my definition of processing. Emo- processing your soul, not your spirit. When you're spirit, you're born again. That's going to develop all the way till you die or Jesus Christ comes, right? That's the maturity piece. Your soul your mind, will, emotions, those are things that you develop through the word and the work of the Holy Spirit. And for me, processing is this equation. Processing equals accountability and vulnerability. Mm. And we know man does not like to be accountable and we do not like to be vulnerable. But that is the exact space where you heal. Right? And so my heart is to bring men to that space so that they can heal and become better leaders, husbands, fathers, follower of Christ, people who add value to the community and don't take it away. That's phenomenal. Praise God. Praise God. And, you know, while there may not be many chaplains listening to this, there's a lot of coaches that listen to it. And I, I think that what you do can easily be transferable for a high school coach. Not easily. I, I don't want to say it, But a high school coach can implement many of the elements that you do. And so I, 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 how do you build and develop trust with these guys? Because I think, you know, we, we've all heard the adage, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You know? And so yeah, the high school coach that's listened to this, that, that, that coaches 50 – football players or the college coach that's listening to this that's got 105 football players how do you develop and build the trust with these guys when they first come in so that they know that hey man like if you need me I'm here I am that safe place if you need to come talk to and when you're ready for that talk we can have that or if you just need somebody to vent to I can be that as well how you know the NFL, there's constantly trades and transactions and guys you've been invested in, you know, and started the journey are now headed to a different team and you're getting other guys. And how do you build that trust with these guys? Yeah, my, my, um, my advice coach, if I'm talking to a coach is number one, you got to be present. And, And this is the task. There's so much pressure for winning that coaches aren't present. Mm. Yes. We're finding coaches in the NFL. I'm not sure about high school. I had coaches sleeping in their offices and not going home because of the pressure of winning. Wow. So if a coach can't be present for their family, they're not going to be present for their players. And so what coaches first need to be around, realize is that they need to be present first for their family. You can't be present for a player if your home is not well. Amen. So make sure your marriage is good, your relationship with your children are good. If you set that foundation, you can build trust in the life of other men. Because if you're, let's say you got a kid who's coach's kid, and he's telling stories to his friend about his dad is always with you. Mm-hmm. Right? 
that player is going to be thinking, man, if he can't be with his own son, what are you going to do for me? Right. Right. So be present with your family first. Be present with the players. And that is make sure you're you're for them, for who they are, not what they could do for you. And so you got to be present to say, hey, I'm recruiting you. I want you high school kid on my team because I care for you. I want you to go to college. I want you to be a productive member of society, right? These are basic principles, even for a coach who may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? If he's a coach who's a believer, he knows he should be praying for them players. Yep. I would advise coaches to go in the locker room during the day if they can and get some, and it's just me, some oil, some contact, pray for each locker, right? Um, and then there will be spaces where kids do become vulnerable and you need to be all ears and no mouth. Mm, that's so good. Right? So so when that kid comes say, hey, you know, my mom and dad going through a divorce and I don't know what to do. Coach should be, ed- I mean, so attentive to the heart of that young man because his response will determine if he goes right or left. And so be present, be attentive with two ears, one mouth. And the last thing I would say for a coach who's leading young men is to always remind them of who they are. Mm. You are a leader. You are loved. You are not alone. Wow. Right? Wow. And, and to and to that extent, hey, we're having dinner tonight. Set out, a, you know, for, for every week of the season, determine that you're going to have five kids a week at your house. Order pizza and just be at the school. I mean, just... If this is if this is a coach who's a believer, you got to realize the end game. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. You don't know where you at on yep. that ladder. Yep. God might be using it to plant seeds. Well, plant seeds of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, being attentive. Right. You might be watering seed. Right. Or God might use use you to lead them in a sinner's prayer. So those would be the three principles I would say for building trust for a man who's a coach or a woman. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so thankful for you sharing that. You know, I, I don't know if you remember this quote, but Billy Graham once said, a coach impacts more people over the course of one year than most people do their entire lives. You know, and, and so true. At, at FCA, one of our cores, our main cores is in and through the coach. You know, because two of the most powerful words in the English language are coach says. You know what I mean? Coach says this, man, everybody does it. You know, and, and to your yep. point, we all have coaches that spoke life into us, right, and elevated us to a level that we didn't even know we were capable of. Then we've had coaches that took life away from us, spoke life out of us, and, you know, uh, almost had us wanting to quit the sport that we once were so passionate and loved so much. And I, I, I agree 100% with what you said. I think it, I think every coach gets into the game. Because they want to make a difference in kids' lives. But through the course of their coaching journey, become the pressures of success. Become the pressures of life, family, job. All of these other things get in the way. And before you know it, the score at the end of the uh, of the game determines whether they've been successful or not. And the reality is, is we can't even begin to define success until 10, 15 years down the road when we see what type of husbands, wives, mothers, and fathers we've helped play a role in. you know. And I think getting coaches, and you said it, getting coaches from being transactional to being transformational. 
you know, and, and I, think that, I think the great coaches are transformational. And I listen to a lot of coaches talk, and unfortunately, it typically takes them five to seven years before they start realizing it's about relationships. You know, you hear a lot of coaches say, man, when I was first in it, it was win, 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 win. I wanted to rise the ladder and, and win the championships. And then they just realize that, you know, okay, great, you win a Super Bowl. What happens tomorrow? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, nothing yeah. in my life has changed. And so if it's about winning, man, it's going to come up empty and feel void at times. If it's about relationships, then every single person matters. And I think, man, I, Absolutely. I, I truly hope that coaches listen to what you said because that could be so transformational in they're about to enter their seasons. You know, football practices around here. I'm in Pennsylvania. Football practices around here start today, I believe. Heat acclimation starts today. And so if a, if, if a football coach or a wrestling coach or a volleyball coach listens to this today, that could cho- totally change the trajectory of their coaching career, or not their career, but the impact that their coaching has on people's lives. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I did want to hit on one thing that you had shared that I just think is so incredibly important. You know, I believe we've elevated sports in our society to be a god. You know, we've created athletes to be gods, you know, and we revere them and we idolize them and we forget the fact that they're human beings just like us that are maximizing the gifts that God has given them, you know, but with a lot of these athletes, I love the fact that, you know, a lot of times I would imagine their spouse, their wife, feels isolated. You know what I mean? Like, man, it's all about their husband, all about their husband. You guys come alongside the wife and you help feed into her and invest into her. Talk more about that because I think that is huge and I want our listeners to listen to this, and I want our coaches to hopefully say, man, maybe I need somebody feeding into my wife. Oh, absolutely. Um, Actually, truth be told, my wife's ministry really is the backbone for mine, right? Mm. Because if you can get a woman in the room, right, you get a woman on fire for Christ, she's like, listen, I don't care what you think you're doing Tuesday night. We go into Bible study. We go into couple study. And if you don't come, you're not getting ABC. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right. And so, and so there's been a lot of stories in our ministry. Well, because the woman began attending the guy is like, yo, I ain't trying to lose shorty. So I'm there. <laughs> not realizing that the seeds that was being sown, came in later to help save their relationship. Uh, And so that ministry to women is huge. Mm. And not only that, you know, there's a, I mean, we can get into so many spaces of this, but there's a lot of praise that the guy goes through, right? Signing autographs, pictures, interviews, endorsement deals, and then here's the girl. Yeah. Right. So there's this identity like, man, he's getting everything. What about me? And so my wife does a great job of helping women say, hey, your identity is not found in him. Your identity is first found in Christ. You're already valued. You're already loved. You're already seen. 
You have God's attention, right? His eyes on a sparrow. He looks at you. He sees you. He adores you. He loves you. So my wife does a great job of coaching women in their identity. And once that woman stays strong, you know the power voice of a woman. I tell men, I tell people this all the time. I grew up very hard life. People's opinions don't touch me. I'm not easily offended. I can stand toe-to-toe with the best of them. People can say, do things to me, and it don't faze me. But my wife's words can either build me up or take me down. Amen. In other words, the, the words of a woman into the heart of a man, right? Samson, right? Those words can determine the outcome of a man's life. So my wife coached them, uh, love on them. She's discipling them. So that relationship is vital to the marriage, to the relationship. And we've seen tremendous fruit come from it. Praise God. Praise God. And we trust that you're going to continue to see tremendous fruit come from it. And, and, and you know, um, one of the things that – so you guys are so uh, united, you and your wife. You know, it's that equal – like you're just equal. You're, you've got the same vision, the same passion. You're on fire for the Lord. We're ministering to a lot of high school student-athletes who – you know, the pressures of being a high school student athlete and just the desire for relationships. And sometimes that desire for a relationship means compromising the fact that, man, I might be a believer, he might not, and just this whole unequal yoke, you know. And so can you just kind of talk about how important it was for you to find a wife, a woman, that shared the same beliefs and the passions and kind of hit on the dangers of, you know, I guess they call it missionary dating, you know, where you think you're going to change somebody, yeah. you know, and just kind of speak into that because I, I the, there are a lot of pressures that high school kids put on themselves. Like, well, everybody else has a girlfriend. Everybody else has a boyfriend. And yeah, he doesn't believe what I believe, but I, 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 I'm just looking to not be lonely, you know, just kind of speak into that if you will. Cause I think, your testimony, your story is powerful, and you'll say it a lot better than I will. <laughs> you know what? It's a difficult space if we're talking high school kids, right? Um, just keeping it practical and physiologically, boys' brains don't develop to their early 20s, yeah. right? Yeah. So so we're dealing with hormone, hormones, insecurities, identity crisis. So this what I, when I speak to high school kids, even college age kids, if I'm doing retreats, conferences, there's a couple of things I tell kids. Number one, your popularity don't define you. Mm, amen. Because nobody told me at the end of popularity was emptiness. There's something about seeking things you desire that will never fill the void that's in your heart. And so there's so many layers to this, bro. What's going on in the home? How are they raised? I mean, there's so many layers. But the practical thing is to know that your popularity status does not define who you are. So we I always encourage kids to work on their identity, who you are in Christ, who does God say you are, not what someone tweets about you, posts about you, you didn't get a retweet. Like, that don't define who you are. But saying that in this generation is very tough um, because that's it. Right. We we grew we were groomed into social media. They were born into it. And so identity, number one, number two, 
um, for the girl is that the void you feel you have can never be fulfilled by a guy. Mm. So your high school years, high school and college years is what I call character building years. So you, my wife was a virgin when we got married. Praise God. My wife had never dated. She had some little wannabe boyfriends. My wife has never drank to this day. Not one beer, not a glass of wine. My wife has never smoked to this day. Uh, And so, bro, when God sent me here, I was past blessed because I was exposed (laughs) to pornography at eight years old. The first time I had sex was 11. I was smoking uh, marijuana at a very early age and drinking alcohol. So our paths are totally different. Mm -hmm. But God redeemed that part of my life um, to have the wife I have today. And I'm so blessed, bro. I can't, I mean, I can go on and on and talk about my wife. Seriously, without her, without her, I wouldn't even be on this call. Mm -hmm. And that's real. Mm -hmm. That's real. And so... So I feel like the identity number one for the guys and ladies, but specifically for the ladies, that void you feel in your heart can only be filled by the father. And so sex won't do it. Want to be down and be cool won't do it. I tell kids all the time that's almost six and a half billion people on the planet. Now, one of us have the same set of fingerprints, not even identical twins have the same set of fingerprints, which means what? You're unique. Mm. There's something special about you. And the moment you begin to become like someone else, you lose your value. And so God does not want you to lose your value by you giving yourself sexually, emotionally, spiritually at your age to someone right now, because we know the end of that is very devastating. And that's just real. Um, And so it's a tough, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, You know, most parents say, you know, they'll let their kids date at 16 I'm sending my girls to boarding school. And so <laughs> you feel me? So, uh, no, but, but, but it, it's just a tough thing to monitor. It's about maturity where they at. I mean, it's so many layers to this, but those are just a few principles that I would encourage kids with. Mm, that's so good. Uh, it sounds, <clears throat> excuse me. It sounds like we may need to get your wife here on a podcast here shortly and just kind of have her share, you know, just some of the incredible I, – I just feel like through talking with you, she just has incredible wisdom and insight that our listeners probably need to hear. Oh, my gosh. She – oh, bro. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Some people say a lot of things about my wife, but my wife's the real deal, man. She She's great. She's great, bro. I love her. And, yes, I know she will love it. She will be honored to do it. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you know, you mentioned that you grew up without a father and that you never really knew him. Throughout your life, though, who are some of the people that did come alongside of you and did feed into you and did kind of speak that affirmation over you? You know, you said earlier it's so powerful for a coach to say you are this, you are that, you are this. Who were those people that spoke that, whether it was early on or just as you continue to grow up, who were those people for you? Oh, yeah, man. I had a few. My The couple – um, the the family that led my cousin to the Lord, uh, his wife, whom he married, by the way, they have two kids. Praise God. That's and awesome. he's got an incredible story. He was in LD classes all his life, never went to college, um, struggled academically, could barely read. He was a tradesman, got an iron worker. He's been doing that for 19 years. Wow. And two years ago, he launched a furniture store. And last year, his store did $2.4 million in sales. Wow. And uh yeah, it's just amazing. You talking about trying to get someone to support your ministry. Come on somebody. <laughs> and uh <laughs> but 
but uh but he's doing very well and um so he him and I bonded that family took me in as well and helped me encouraged me in my development my senior pastor in Chicago took me in as a son uh helped me spoke life into me I had mentors that I pursued would get lunch with breakfast with um I would go to their jobs meet them for lunch uh, so there was a lot of active part on my life to get men to speak into my life as a young man. Um, so, yeah, through the years, I've always had men that I can call to. I got a lot of names that I can mention, and I'm not a name dropper, that are nationally known leaders that I can call at the drop of a hat if I need prayer or advice. And so I've always been the kind of person that pursue relationships to which I can add value to them in whatever way I can, and they can add value to me. And I imagine that's got to be very important in the role that you serve. You know, um, you're feeding into these athletes, you know, and, and I mean, we, we unfortunately, their lives are lived under a microscope, you know, and their mistakes are mm-hmm. publicized, you know. And so we know the life of an athlete isn't easygoing. And so you're, you know, you're constantly navigating through these difficult times, you know, especially I'm sure with the athletes that aren't believers, you know, they probably just have you on the emergency line, you know, Hey, when there's emergency, man, I, I need you, you know, but at some point you've got to be fed. Otherwise you end up becoming exhausted, drained, and you don't have the energy or the, the filled tank to feed other people, you know? And so I think that that's so awesome that you, you have made being in community of, of people that are just going to feed each other such a priority. Yeah, yeah. L- let me piggyback on something really quick, 30 sure, seconds. Back to the coaches piece, and that's where the pain is because coaches don't do what I talked about, that processing with other men. Mm. And so that trickles down to the kids. You, do, do you watch Last Chance You? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That coach on this season, look at his life. If you notice, every time there's an interview, he has a drink in his hand. Yep. Look at the anger issues, how he yells at kids. Yeah. Right? Why? He has no one to speak into his life. Yeah. Now, he might have other coaches say, hey, wait, what scheme did you run against this team? Right? Right. But who's helping him emotionally and spiritually? Mm-hmm. If we can get coaches in that space, that would help produce more young men. Could you imagine the impact he can have at that level if he was emotionally and spiritually healthy? Well, and that's the thing is he's having an impact. You know what I mean? But like right. the, the emotional and spiritual health will determine whether that impact is positive and life-changing. Absolutely. And sustaining or life-taking. And yeah, it, it is like it's painful. You know, it's painful to watch mm-hmm. those situations because you do see the hurt and the loneliness and all those things pouring out. And um when you know, and this is a little change in topic, but you know, I wanted to make sure that I asked you this. You know, we talked about getting into the chaplaincy and just kind of using your passion and love for the sports and what God had done in your heart as an easy way in. But did you ever go through like, was there that holy cow? I'm working with all these professional athletes. Like, was there ever any of that, or did you always just see these athletes as sheep that needed shepherded? I always seen them as men. My my job is this. I, I'll say this. Our job is this. Our job is to put the hands of men in the hands of God. Mm. That's our, our. We are exchangers. 
Our job is to take someone's hand, right? Picture someone uh, about the salsa dance. That gentleman grabs that lady's hand. Our job is to be that advocate, to grab that person's hand and walk them to the hand of Jesus. Yeah. So I don't care how much money you do make or don't make. I don't care if you're a practice squad player or you just signed a five-year deal. That does not matter to me. I don't care how many autographs you sign. I don't care how many touchdowns you got, how many yards you rush for, how many receiving yards you have, or how many sacks. I got one question. Do you know him? Mm. I got another question. How is your marriage? How are your kids? How is the atmosphere at your home? How are you? That's all I care about. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. Because at the end of the day, when you die, there will not be a U-Haul truck attached to your casket. Amen. You can't take none of it with you. So you got to send it ahead of you. And that's only one way. You cannot lay up treasures in heaven without them knowing the one who's there. Mm. Mm. Because even if you do, you ain't going to get there if you don't know him. And so for me, I've never been an all guy. For some reason, God, ha God has always had people status. Cliff Floyd is from my neighborhood. He was a in, uh, sure. um, yep, all-star left-handed hitter, right? His uh, he's from my high school. I, I grew up next door to Antoine Rendell. Um, I played against Melvin Eli, who played in the league. Quentin Richardson, Bobby Simmons. Um, I remember in, being in the gym when Dwayne Wade was a junior in high school. Um, so I've never been an all guy, especially after I became a believer. Because when I look at people, the only thing that runs through my mind, are they going to make eternity? That's it. I, I, honestly, bro, that's it. I don't care about nothing else. Nothing. That's awesome. I, I want I want your name written in the Lamb's yes. Book of Life. Yes. Yeah. So tell us, you know, a couple years ago when the Eagles made their Super Bowl run, you know, it, it, that was a special team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not just what they did on the field, but, I mean, we just saw faith really shine through. You know, we saw the videos of guys getting baptized in hotel pools and all this and that and just kind of – very few of us get to experience um, or have experience kind of walking with that person as they surrender their life to Christ. You know, we all get to play roles mm -hmm. in it. Sometimes we're not just, you know, we're just not there at the final chapter of that journey, you know. And so what is that like for you as somebody that is walking day by day with these athletes, with these men? Let's not call them athletes, these men. And when that moment comes where they're like man listen i like i'm ready to surrender it all to him what is that moment like i mean just kind of let us in and 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 what does it look like after that what does that transformation look like do you see that switch being flipped for where it was all about the money all about the fame and all about that stuff and now it's man that stuff's fleeting now it's all about him oh the reaction is let's go <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I mean, that, even though the market of Philadelphia and, you know, all that, that kind of wave, it, it, seeing those acts, that happens on teams all across the NFL. Absolutely. Right? Uh, so, you know, it's let's go. Let's take that next step. Um, I, I did a discipleship group um, of three NFL players. We met every Friday morning at Starbucks at eight o'clock in the morning, eight to nine. And, um, 
wherever the next step is, got to get them saved, got to get them baptized, and we got to disciple them, right? And I'm on staff with Athletes in Action. And so our motto is win, build, send. Win them to Christ, build them up, and send them out. Mm, that's great. And so that's the motto for me. Wherever they at, we got to get first and foremost, we got to take their hand and put them in Jesus' hand. They must be born again. We got to get them baptized. We got to get them discipled and then help them discover. And here's the looming question for everyone on this podcast, if you're a believer. You're saved now. So now what? What are you doing with this salvation? Yeah, that, That's really what it comes down to. So how are we helping people get in a space in which God gifted them, which I believe every person born has a gift? How do we get men in the space to use their platform to glorify the king? That's it. That's all that matters. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Nothing else matters. Nothing. Nothing matters. Right? Absolutely. Jesus has. Jesus had a mission. Listen to this. Jesus had one mission the day he was born. His mission was to die. When we look at the three kings and look what they brought to the kids. Manger. They brought frankincense, myrrh. Those are, (laughs) myrrh is a ingredient for embalming people. <laughs> it's for death. Incense is a prayer, right? Yeah. Jesus lived to die. So the cross was not a tragedy. The cross was an accomplishment. Mm, amen. Amen. How does how does God put in Genesis the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the snake. Are you kidding me? In Genesis, God said in Edict that the, the enemy would bruise his heel. What was his heel bruise? When they ran the, the nail through his foot. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the history of the story. It's an accomplishment. It's a miracle. He made it. Mm. A miracle. He made he came to die. Period. The healings was great. Miracles was great. Walking on water was great, but that wasn't his mission. Right, right. His mission was the cross. My God, it's so humble. It makes me want to worship him. Right? And is that, is that not the same mission for us? Absolutely. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Yeah. We are born again to die. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I was crucified with him. Come on, somebody. I'm Man, preaching myself happy. I, 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 <laughs> I always like that. I'm preaching better than your amen. And, you know, um, that's right. <laughs> but no, that speaking of preaching, I mean, honestly, I feel like I could listen to you forever. You know, like I want to be respectful of your time. I want to be respectful of our listeners time. But I also know I need more of this. I need more of your passion. I need more of your energy. And I know that our listeners are saying, man, he's got a message I need to hear. I want to hear. Where can our listeners find you? Where Where are you on the Internet? Are you on social media? So, I am on social media. I'm on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I don't do Snapchat. It's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I'm on all social media networks. 
Um, you can you can look me up on YouTube, but to be honest, bro, I'm really low key. You know, I'm not trying to start no online ministry like that. I really try to stay humble, stay low key, and but but there's a few things out out there. I've preached at a lot of churches, so if you Google me, there are a few churches that'll pop up that have sermons. I'm an evangelist, so you ain't gonna find series, right? I'm not a pastor, <laughs> but <laughs> but I have some a few sermons out there um, that you can you can find. Awesome. Well, I know a lot of people will be looking for that. And then coming up soon, you're actually going to be speaking at a conference. And this I actually thought was pretty cool. I'd never heard of this, and I never even thought in this uh, atmosphere. But you're going to be speaking at a conference for sports officials surrendered. And man, when I start thinking of officiating, and I, whether you're a major league umpire, you know we're going to have uh, major league umpire Ted Barrett on here uh, in a couple podcasts. Whether you're a major league umpire or an NFL ref, uh, that is a tough space to to be a believer. That's a you're, you're getting it all. Like you're you're never a good guy to one team or another. And so um, you're going to speak at that conference. Tell us a little bit about sports officials surrendered, and tell us why. Uh, you chose that to be one of the platforms that you speak at. Oh, absolutely. My my really good friend, Josh Cook, uh, he's one of the advisors for the SOS ministry. They're putting on a what's called a REF conference, Referees Embracing Faith Conference, REF. Mm. And it's August 17th in uh, Mason, Ohio, and it's going to be uh, men from all over the country, literally, come to be encouraged, equipped, challenged, and empowered to be a light in the space they are in, right? We got men, I mean, all types of, all types of referees, basketball, umpires. Uh, we got a, uh, uh, NCAA basketball coordinator officials. We got, so we want to empower these refs that can impact the realm of sport like we all do, but do it at their level uh, as a referee. You know the heat referees take, Amen. Uh, right? Society forget that they're human, right? They can, other people can go to work and make the mistake, but not a ref, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, you know, it's just a space and a time for them to be equipped, empowered, and encouraged. So I'm so honored that they, they, they've asked me to come speak, and I'm excited. That's awesome. Do you know what you're going to speak about yet? Have you decided that? Or are you still ironing that out? I'm still ironing it out. They keep asking me, and, you know, I, I really, I, I hate boxing myself in because yeah. I love giving the Holy Spirit space to work. Yeah. Um, so I'm 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 kind of in between about two messages, but okay. but I'm excited for sure. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't know if it's it's too late for if there's any officials or refs or anybody in that kind of atmosphere environment space that's listening. I don't know if it's too late to register, but if you go online and you Google sports officials surrendered, it'll take you to their website and I'm sure you can find out about their conference there. And if it's too late for this year, then you can, you know, keep it on, on the calendar for next year. Um, but I do want to take you into what our last segment, it's called three and out. And we ask all of our guests, the same three questions. It's kind of lighthearted. It lets people in on just kind of a lighter side of you. Um, usually we have, uh, a segment called Eli Wants to Know where my seven-and-a-half-year-old son gets on here and he'd ask you a, a, a question that all of America wants to know. And he hits hard, man. He hits hard. But you got off lucky this week because <laughs> he's at vacation Bible school. And so uh, – Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but okay. So the first question in our three and out is what is the last book that you've read? So um, – I'm. Um, 
almost I'm in a book. So okay. I'm in I'm in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis sure. right now. Sure, sure, great book. And I, you know I've been a Christian 19 years and I haven't read it. And so and mainly because I'm a rebel. When people say you need to read this, you read to read this. I'm like I ain't reading it. Amen. No, no. Amen. Amen. Right. Yep. So which is a which is a horrible horrible thing. But <laughs> but I, I'm in it. And and I'm bypassing the language, right? Some of the things you say, I have to read twice, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's a great book, so I'm in mere Christianity right now. That the whole being rebel—that's the same reason why I've still yet to see Titanic, any of the Lord of the Rings, or anything like that. Because, like you said, <laughs> if anybody says you got to see it, I'm like, eh, no, nah, it's okay. But uh, <laughs> that's a deep book. You know what I mean? Like that's not one of those books you can just start reading while you're trying to fall asleep and hope it'll put you to sleep. Like you really gotta. You know, like you said, read a couple right. of those things a couple times, but that that is a great book. Second question: You're on a road trip. What are you listening to? If I'm on a road trip, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, that's word wise, music wise. I'm listening to Lecrae. Okay, and podcasts. Who do you like? Uh, I would say number one podcast is a Bible teacher by the name of Chuck Missler. Okay. Number one. Number two is Derek Prince. Um, so all the teachers I listen to are probably dead. So I really don't listen to no new preachers, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> long story on that. Another podcast. The old dead but, guys. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. right. The old dead yeah, guys. yeah. And so, and then I'm, I have tons of worship. So I'm listening mm. to worship, Lecrae, and Bible teaching. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Our last question. Yeah. Our last question. They make a movie about your life. Who plays you? Oh, man. They make a movie about my life? Your Who would life. I want to play? My my crazy life? Yes. Yes. And oh, after hearing man. about it, I'm like, man, now they need to. I know, right? Uh, so, two pe- so this is a tough question because do they have to look like me? Right? No, no, In order no. to portray me? This is okay, Hollywood. Okay, okay. This is Hollywood. All right. Okay. Okay. So I got to go with two people then. I can't say one. <laughs> Denzel Washington. <laughs> Obviously, so he can play. He can play any role. Yep. Or I have a really good friend who's coming up in the acting game named Caleb Castile. Okay. okay. Caleb Castile. Yep. Yep. So uh, those will be my two. My two uh, guys, I want to portray me in my story. I, hearing your story, I really think that there's a chance this should be a movie. You know, this is a great only God story. This could be what Caleb looks back to in ten years and is like, "Man, that was the launching point. That was the launching point." You know, so I don't want to put that. I don't want to put that pressure on your shoulders. You know, like you could make or break his career. But uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But uh, Lamoris, we are so excited that you've joined us. We are so thankful for you to just share your journey, your testimony. And while our listeners may not have the same exact one, and while they may not have been able to relate to every part of it, I know that every listener can relate to parts of it. And I think, and I hope, and I pray that what God downloads to them is that ultimate hope, ultimate identity is found in only one person. And that's our Lord. And that's it. And that's it. And that we're never too far gone. And just because our circumstances may not be ideal, and just because we may be growing up without that father figure, or we may be growing up with this obstacle or that obstacle, 
we have the best father there is in God, and he is always with us. And just the life-altering, just how life-altering it is when we do finally put our faith, our true faith, and our true surrender in the Lord. And so I am so thankful for you sharing what God's been doing, and we trust that we are just scratching the surface for what he's going to do with you, in your life, in your ministry, in your wife's ministry, and just in the spaces that you navigate. And so we just thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, really is an honor. And, and same to you and your ministry in FCA and this podcast, you know, that lives will be impacted and that he will be glorified through it. So it's an honor. And seriously, seriously, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at caneford.com.